The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Peter Kranzler, who's the president of San Mateo Capital Management in California, and Weston Wellington, who's the vice president at Dimensional Fund Advisors DFA uh, based in Texas. Welcome to both of you. Nice to be here. Thank you. Let's start, Peter, with your background first, and then we'll go to Weston's background before we get into the substance of the show. What is your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, it's different than most people in my industry. I spent the bulk of my career doing something entirely different. I worked for media companies uh, managing sales groups. Uh, but when I was 28 years old, I went skiing in Sun Valley, and it rained that day. And I put three quarters in a, a vending machine to buy a copy of the Wall Street Journal, which I had never read before and got interested in the financial market simply by starting to read the Wall Street Journal and then starting to invest my own portfolio. And I made a lot of mistakes uh, when I did it, but I learned from those mistakes. And over time, that became something of a fascination for me. And uh, I became more and more interested in doing it. And uh, I made enough mistakes that I think I became fairly proficient at it. And uh, when I hit my uh, early 50s, uh, I wanted to make a midlife career change, and I always wanted to do something that uh, could benefit other people as opposed to selling widgets. And uh, I started a a financial services company. I'm a registered investment advisor. Uh, And what I do is I use the experience that I gained over 25 or 30 years of investing in my own portfolio and trying to apply that to the clients that I serve. And uh, I love what I do. Uh, I have interesting problems to solve every day. It's, it's by no means a Groundhog Day job. Uh, things change from day to day. And the, the biggest gratification that, that comes from it is taking the burden of financial stress uh, from my clients and trying to offer them a disciplined approach to managing their money. And most of my clients are in my age group, so they're heading towards retirement. And what I do is try and structure their financial lives to make the most of what they're doing now and uh, moving into the future when they enter retirement. You have a a disclosure statement you want to read, so let's just do that right now if we can. Uh, Let's do it later because I don't have it in front of me. (laughs) Okay, no problem. uh, All righty, we just thought we'd get that over with. Okay, Weston, so same thing, just get a little bit of your background and how you got to DFA and, and your role there. I've spent the last 38 years in the investment business. The first 20 years, we're doing it what we might call the conventional way. I worked for a series of Wall Street brokerage firms. I read research reports from the analysts these firms employed. I read Business Week, Fortune, Wall Street Journal, Barron's, The Wall Street Transcript, Forbes Magazine. And like many investors, I believe that to be successful, you had to work really hard and figure out what was going on in the general economy, figure out which companies were poised to do well, 
and which companies you wanted to avoid because they were probably going to do poorly. And then 18 years ago, I was introduced to a firm called Dimensional Fund Advisors, which has an entirely different approach to developing an optimal investment strategy. And rather than do the conventional Wall Street research approach, their approach is to work closely with some of the world's leading financial economists who take what I have come to understand is a much more comprehensive and I believe more rigorous way of thinking about risk and return and which risks get rewarded in the capital markets and which don't. And I've spent the last 18 years helping other investors understand this approach because to many of them it seems baffling when they're first introduced to it. But the more you learn about it, the more you study it, and the more honest you are with yourself about what your abilities are, you come to realize this is a very effective way of managing money. And it's also a way to improve your lifestyle, I believe. We're going to go into that uh, in, in greater detail. Do you have your disclosure statement ready, Peter? Uh, I do. Um, so let's, and t- let's take I, care um, of that. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, the, uh, the opinions that I express on this show are my own and do not reflect the opinions of uh, the network or the, the producers of the program. Uh, all statements and opinions expressed are based on information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk, and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot predict uh, future performance. Strategies mentioned may or may not be suitable for everyone. And there we go. Very good. Okay, we've got that out of the way. Okay. All righty. So yeah. let's start with you, Weston. What, we're going to get into the DFA approach and what Peter uses on a regular basis. But as a general rule, what is the biggest mistake that most investors make in allocating their money? I think the biggest mistake they make is failure to understand exactly which risks they are assuming with their investment portfolio and how they should go about uh, arriving at some expectation of what an appropriate return should be. So, okay, so how, what risks do they think they're taking and what risks are they actually taking? What, what is the mistake? Well, with the, the, most, the, the most common, I would say, shortcoming of uh, investor portfolios when they come to us is that they're not properly diversified. They're taking a lot more risk. They're taking greater risk than they realize. The risk of holding a small number of securities in a portfolio is considerably greater than having a properly diversified portfolio which might have five or 10,000 different securities. So when does that risk come home to roost? When, when the markets go down, if, if the markets are going up, they feel, and they're in the right stocks, it's they feel so they're doing a, very well by being not concentrated. not so much a question of the markets going up or down. It's the, the tragedy we often see is that uh, investors have suffered permanent losses of capital due to an undiversified portfolio, which they never recover. When a company like Eastman Kodak or General Motors goes bankrupt and you lose all of your money, it doesn't matter if the market goes up the next year. You've lost that capital permanently. And many people believe they can easily identify the problem securities ahead of time, but the actual results suggest they can't. And they're better off holding a very broadly diversified portfolio as the best way to protect themselves from unexpected events. And Peter, when clients come to you for the first time, what kind of shape are they in and what kind of risk and what, what do you tend to tell them when you see what they've already got? Well, that varies enormously from client to client, so it's kind of hard to give a one-size-fits-all answer. Uh, 
but I'd add a few things to the question you asked uh, Weston. Um, one of the biggest risks that investors um, undertake, in addition to being not diversified, uh, comes from human nature, and it's human nature to look through the rearview mirror as opposed to through the windshield. And what I mean by that is a, a typical investor will look at a stock or a bond or a security that has done very well in the past and assume that it will continue doing the same thing into the future. And patterns work until they stop working. And quite often what an investor will do is buy, you know, the hot stock du jour. Um, and at some point the hot stock du jour, as Eastman Kodak was, as General Motors was, uh, ceases to do that. Uh, you know, back in the 1960s, there was a group of 50 stocks called the Nifty 50. And everybody or many people invested in those stocks because they had been doing well and they kept doing well and then all of a sudden they didn't do so well. More recently, in the late 1990s, a lot of people bought internet companies because that was the, um, you know, the hot, that was the momentum play at the time. We all know what happened in 2000 and 2001 when a lot of those companies ceased to exist or they lost the great bulk of their, their value. Um, and, and this is a human trait. And emotion is one of the worst enemies an objector, uh, an investor has. And to the extent that you can take emotions out of the picture, uh, you'll do well. So one of the things I try and impress upon clients and potential clients is to try and get their own emotions out of the, uh, the equation and try and look a little more analytically at what markets do and, and how they work. Weston, what is the difference between speculating and investing when it comes to uh, putting a portfolio together? And how should one do one versus the other? Well, the, that's a very good question. Speculating, I would define as uh, tantamount to gambling. I mean, basically what you're doing is you're trying to identify a stock, usually, uh, or an investment that you think is undervalued and will do better than the rest of the market. Uh, and as Weston said, you know, there's a, an inherent risk in that because, you know, uh, you, a year or two ago, you may have thought Apple computer share price would go up to the moon, and it went as high as $705, and before you knew it, it was $380 or something like that. Investing, by contrast, is taking your own hunches about future price activity out of the equation and instead relying on what markets as a whole have done, and, and that requires some explanation. All we know is what has happened in the past, and if we make the assumption that what has happened in the past will happen more or less the same way in the future over the long haul, nobody knows what will happen. In the, in the short term, markets can do anything. Over the long haul, it's a reasonable assumption to make that what markets do over an extended period of time in the past, will, they will continue along those lines. And so investing is looking at, um, you know, what markets have done over a long period of time and applying that to the future. And what Weston's company does is they have a terrific tool, and it's called the Matrix Book. And what this tool is essentially is a series of charts uh, of what pretty much every major asset class has done 
since the, you know, for the past, depending on the asset class, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So every time I sit down with a new client, I bring this book with me. And I can show them, for example, you know, the S&P since 1927 or something uh, has delivered this average return. But if you look at shorter periods of time, you can see how volatile it might be. And over a very long period of time, the last 70 years, I think the average return is 9 point something percent. Over a much shorter period of time, if you look at 2008, 2009, you could see it fell by half. If you look at the last four or five years, you could see it pretty much doubled. And investing is its a very good tool to use to uh, illustrate what investing is in that the longer the time horizon you have to look at how a specific type of investment performs, the better basis you have to assume what that sort of investment will do going into the future. And investing, in my view, is simply looking at what types of, what different types of uh, investments have done over time, combining them in such a fashion that they will uh, have the greatest probability of delivering uh, the highest return probable within a given, uh, uh, you know, the investor's comfort level as far as risk and volatility. So it's okay. a much longer-term approach. It takes your hunches about a stock or market timing out of the equation and simply uses the enormous amounts of data that, that have been accumulated about how markets perform and uses those data in such a way to uh, create a portfolio which has the greatest probability of meeting an investor's um, desired return within the investor's comfort level for how risky those investments are and how volatile those investments are likely to be. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are uh, Peter Kranzler, you were just hearing from, from San Mateo Capital Management, and Weston Wellington, a Vice President at uh, Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Think of the world. 50 years ago, 
Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Peter Kranzler, uh, the head of San Mateo Capital Management, and Weston Wellington, uh, Vice President at Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA. Welcome back to both of you. Okay. Uh, Peter, uh, before we go on, you want to give your uh, website and how people can uh, contact you to find out more about what you do? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, Anyone that's interested can find out more about what I do and what my approach is at my website. Uh, The uh, URL is www.sanmateo, S-A-N-M-A-T-E-O, capitalmanagement.com, or can call me directly at 650-394-4838. Very good. So, Weston, tell us a little bit more. You, uh, you want to make another point relating to what Peter was saying and how DFA constructs its investment approach to meet uh, the, the goals that he was talking about. Well, Peter talked about the importance of looking at rates of return in the capital markets all over the world over long periods of time. And one of the intriguing aspects of working with economists is that that's very important to them, studying what rates of return have been, what have the rewards provided to investors by the capital markets over a long period of time all over the world. But economists also ask, should we have expected to see this? It's not enough for them to see the empirical evidence of what has happened. They need to have a, an intuition, a theory that makes sense that will tell them, this probably didn't happen by chance. We should have expected this to happen. And that's why we get into discussions about what are expected rates of return on stocks, what is it in the way capital markets work that provides these returns, and essentially it boils down to a risk-reward proposition. Stocks are riskier than safe investments or safer investments like treasury bills or treasury bonds. And for markets to work properly... 
the expected returns on stocks have to be higher as an incentive for people to own stocks. Otherwise, it's hard to make a case why anybody would want to own stocks if the expected returns weren't higher. They're riskier. So how do you factor in expected returns in putting a portfolio together? I'm sorry? How, How do you factor in expected returns in putting together portfolios. Well, you look at you, you look at your appetite for risk and say how much roughly speaking how much of a capital loss am I willing to withstand over a series of time periods and to the extent you're willing to embrace that kind of risk you should be willing to have a greater exposure to these risky assets which have a considerably higher expected rate of return. By the same token, doesn't mean everybody should be invested in these high expected return investments, such as stocks. If you're risk-averse, you should have a very small exposure to equities, and perhaps some people none at all. Now, there's no right answer to what the proper portfolio looks like. The economists can tell us that different types of securities have different types of risk, different types of returns, but they can't tell us what our risk preference ought to be. And this is where the role of the financial advisor is very important. One of their key jobs is to help the investor come to grips with what is a suitable portfolio for me and how do I go about assessing what my appetite for risk may be. Well, Peter, since you're doing that with actual clients, when you, you go in and ask them how much risk are you willing to take, and the markets are booming, they'll say, I'm willing to take lots of risk. And if they were in 2008 and they thought the world was coming to a part, they, they don't want to take any risk. So how can you get a true measure of the amount of risk that's appropriate for a client when their emotions, as you said, kind of sway them one way or the other? Well, Jordan, there's a few different ways to do that. Um, one is what many financial advisors, including me, do is have clients take a little questionnaire, a risk-tolerance survey, which will deliver uh, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, how much risk a, a client is willing to take. I place a little bit of credence in that. I don't place a lot of credence in that. Uh, what I also do, and I think is more valuable or more helpful, is to see how they've actually invested their money in the past. And uh, nearly all the time, what I find is that the answers that people will give to a quiz or a survey will indicate that they are willing to take a fair amount of risk or what we call risk tolerant, but um, the way that they've actually invested or they may uh, find themselves answering the the survey in such a way that they're less tolerant, we call risk averse, but typically the way that they actually have invested their money it takes on a whole lot more risk than they realize. And it could be because they don't understand the risks that they've taken. And the chief part of that is what Wellington mentioned, uh, what Weston um, mentioned earlier, uh, that they invest in a small number of securities instead of being broadly diversified. Um, some of it comes from assuming that certain investments are um, safe havens, which they're not. A perfect example is gold. You know, you can see all sorts of television advertisements uh, by people that are selling gold to try and convince uh, their prospective buyers that gold is a safe haven investment. Well, gold fell from something like 1780 an ounce to today it trades at I think 1280, something like that. So basically it lost 35 or 40% of its value in the past few months and is anything but a safe haven. 
So two of the most common reasons for taking on too much risk are being un, uh, uh, not knowledgeable about how much risk they're actually taking and assuming safety, um, uh, assuming that they're making investments that are a lot they're less safe than they actually think. But there's a distinction to be made. One is risk tolerance, which is how comfortable an investor is in risk, meaning how much of your money you can lose, uh, and volatility, uh, which is how sharply the investment can change in a short period of time. And the other is risk capacity, which is how much risk somebody can take. And that the capacity for risk will depend on a lot of factors, age, circumstances, uh, what they may need to do in the future. Uh, and it's, I think, the job of an investment advisor to advise them not, not only how much risk they express, how much tolerance for risk they express, but how much capacity for risk they should have. Uh, and those, I think, are two key principles in a qualified investment advisor uh, ought to um, be able to distinguish between the two and make recommendations based on them. Another uh, very good way, probably the best way, to determine an investor's uh, capacity for risk is something that I do and a lot of invest, uh, investment advisors do, is part of my process is to have an interview with each prospective each client. The interview is typically last 45 minutes to an hour, and there are a number of questions that can back into it, such as, you know, what are your biggest concerns about money? Uh, what are the best investments you've made? What are the worst investments you've made? Uh, another thing that's helpful is to quantify the risk. And if an investor has, let's say, $2 million and, uh, you know, his risk tolerance indicates that he can handle, or if he says, the answer is a questionnaire that says he wouldn't mind that he can handle a 20% loss in the market, you give them a real number. Say, well, that's four hundred thousand dollars. Are you comfortable if, in a year, the two million dollars becomes one point six million? And then you get a very different answer. So, there's no one simple way to do it, but a good investment advisor will get a very good sense of where his client's concerns are, uh, what his fears are, and what his true risk tolerance is, as well as what his capacity for risk is, and then meld the two into an investment plan and a long-term financial plan which uh, provides the investor the highest probability of reaching the goals he has within his comfort level as far as risk and volatility. Weston, how does DFA construct these portfolios that are widely diversified that uh, get the highest returns with a minimal, minimalized risk over a longer period of time? Well, strictly speaking, in one sense, we don't construct the end portfolio. What we do is we provide building blocks, if you will, that give the financial advisor or an institutional client the opportunity to choose from a menu of different risk strategies to combine them in ways that they find most effective. Now, we found that the capital markets are defined, broadly speaking, by a couple of big risk factors. There's the equity risk factor, stocks are risky. Small company stocks appear to be riskier in some way than large company stocks, and so we have specific strategies that invest exclusively in small company stocks, both in the U.S. and other countries around the world. Another risk dimension, a phrase we like to use, are uh, low relative price stocks, often called value stocks. And again, we have 
specific strategies which hold only value stocks, not their opposite number growth stocks. And we have these strategies that invest in value-type securities, again, all over the world. It's up to the investor to decide how much of these risk factors belong on my plate, how much in stocks, how much in fixed income. That's not a decision that we make at Dimensional. What we do do is design every portfolio strategy to deliver exactly what we say it will. And so the investor has the confidence that the basic ingredients are very clear, transparent, easy to understand, and easy to assemble into a tailor-made portfolio. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. I'm going to come back after this, Peter. We're going to take a break now. Great, okay. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, My guests this hour are Peter Kranzler, uh, the CEO of San Mateo Capital Management, and Weston Wellington, uh, Vice President at Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA. We'll be after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Peter Kranzler, president of San Mateo Capital Management in California, uh, and Weston Wellington, uh, vice president at Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA. Welcome back to both of you. Um, Weston, a lot of people hear about index funds all the time, and how is what you're doing similar or different from index funds? I mean, you could buy an index fund for large cap and medium cap and small cap and international. There's indexes for all these different things. How is what you do different from putting together a portfolio of index funds? 
there are similarities and there are differences. Uh, in a big-picture basis, that we're completely 100% in philosophical agreement with the indexed approach to investing. This was one of the first key insights from academic researchers on how to go about adopting the best portfolio strategy was to index it, meaning don't try to pick just the right stocks, don't try to time when to buy stocks or when to sell, simply hold a broadly diversified portfolio of securities at minimal cost. So we're in complete agreement with that approach. So where do we differ? Where we differ is that we start with a clean slate. Any index fund manager is trying to closely track an index developed by a third-party data vendor. The Standard & Poor's 500 Index, the MSCI International Indices, various small company or value indices, for example. Nothing wrong with that. However, we do think we can improve a bit on that pure indexing approach. Rather than follow a purely mechanical approach and reconstitute or change our holdings exactly when an index fund or an index uh, is forced to, we have a more flexible approach, which we believe offers both lower costs and the uh, prospect for higher rates of return. We also define our target strategies a bit differently. If small companies, for example, are a, a risk dimension, our strategies wind up owning, even though it may seem uh, counterintuitive, a larger number of stocks than most small cap indices, but they tend to be even smaller companies than those that are held by a conventional index. And so if we're targeting that, that risk dimension more precisely, we would expect to have a higher rate of return. And looking at benchmark versus our strategy since inception over the last 30 years, we have delivered that. We have a pretty appealing record of outperforming conventional indices, not by picking better stocks, but by taking a somewhat a more precise engineering approach toward designing and implementing the portfolio strategy. What kind of rates of return have you been earning? I mean, uh, per, uh, percent over the indexes over the long term. Just give people a rough sense of that track record. Well, I really I shouldn't be talking about specific numbers. Let's just say, in many strategies, we have been able to deliver more than one percent additional rate of return. But I would really defer to Peter and let him sit down with a client. He would be happy to show you uh, all the various asset class strategies and how we have delivered. Uh, Results for investors. So, Peter, so one you've got this. Go, go one thing I'd add to what Weston said, uh, and this was in a New York Times article about two years ago about something called the Larry portfolio, and it's an investment advisor named Larry Swedlow, and he ran a study that showed that over the, and I, I don't, I may be wrong on the specifics, but the gist of it was over the last 20 years uh, or so, if you had invested a, roughly a third of a portfolio in a single DFA fund, which I think was the DFA small cap value fund, and invested the other two-thirds of that portfolio in one-year treasury bills, the end result after that period of time, which was roughly 20 years, was essentially identical to the return that you would have gotten if you had been in the S&P 500 for all of those years. And he 
advantage in doing that. You end up at the same place at the end as far as their portfolio is worth. But the advantage in that approach is that there's much less volatility uh, when two-thirds of your assets are in one-year treasury bills, which essentially is about as safe an investment uh, as, as, you, as you can get, uh, and having uh, the other third in, in this one fund that dimensional fund advisors offer. And what I try and do with clients is something I call a barbell approach that you want to think of a barbell. So at one end of the barbell, you have risk assets, which are stocks and uh, usually, and sometimes things like real estate investment trusts and things like that. And at the other end of the barbell, you have very safe investments. And what I typically use is short-term, high-quality bonds. And, and without getting too far lost in the weeds, um, these are investments that tend to be less uh, levered to interest rate changes, and because they're high quality, they're less, there's much less credit risk than you'd have with other fixed income investments. So part of what you have is what we would consider to be safe investments, uh, and the other part are risk investments. And the, the, there's as much an art as it is a science to combine the two, but it's useful to have uh, a sharp distinction between the two. And then what happens over time is you rebalance. So if stocks go up, maybe you take some of your gains off the table and put them in bonds. If stocks go down, maybe you sell some of your safe assets and put it in risk assets. And over an extended period of time, this process of rebalancing tends to deliver higher returns uh, with less volatility than simply a scattershot approach of, well, I think Apple's going to do really well in the next few years because I think the 5S is going to sell a lot of units in China and, you know, that sort of um, thinking that, that many, uh, you know, investors and investment advisors uh, do. So uh, I think having the right balance between risk assets and non-risk assets is probably the single uh, largest determination, uh, determinant in how a, a portfolio will do over time and how close it will come to an investor's risk tolerance um, and um, um, over an extended period of time. So, Weston, you, you talked about this and say in the long run you've earned maybe 1% or so higher than the indexes, basically. I mean, to the average investor, that doesn't sound like fantastic return that's worth going through all this and, and, and there's going to be fees involved on the underlying funds and the managers, the financial advisors are going to get some fees. So is, is, are they missing something here? Is the 1% sounds not that well, impressive? Well, I think if you, uh, I, every now and again I read studies that are conducted by various um, polling firms and investment psychologists uh, who study the behavior of individual investors and I think there's a lot of evidence that investors in general uh, don't have a good handle on how to estimate what their returns ought to be. Uh, if you ask them what the equity premium expectation is going forward, for example, you get a very blank look usually. Equity premium is the, the additional amount you expect to get by investing in stocks relative to something like high-quality bonds or treasury bills. And many times you'll hear investors say, well, I'm expecting to get 5 or 10% per year more by investing in stocks. And that's a, most economists, I believe, would say that's a pretty unrealistic expectation. So one of the virtues, one of the uh, helpful 
aspects of dealing with a professional financial advisor is to help people frame this debate properly about how do we go about developing a set of reasonable expectations for multitude of asset classes, short-term fixed income, longer-term fixed income, equities, and so forth. What if there's a long-term uh, I, uh, secular... Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. Yeah, I would add to that that I think the more useful comparison is not necessarily between the returns that you would get with asset class investing, such as the funds that dimensional fund advisors offer and index funds, as much as the difference between how either of those approaches differs from actively managed uh, funds. And an actively managed fund is uh, basically a, a mutual fund uh, where there's an investment manager and that investor or fund manager and that manager tries to anticipate the movements of stocks or the, uh, or the market as a whole. And what Morningstar has found, and I use this very often with clients, is that you would think that, you know, half of all mutual funds, actively managed mutual funds, would do better than the market averages or the benchmarks, we call them, and half would do worse, but it doesn't turn out that way. Uh, and what Morningstar reports is that after five years, the percentage of actively managed funds that meet or exceed their benchmarks is very small. I think it's 10 or 15%. After 10 years, it's virtually non-existent. And there are a number of reasons for that. The principal reason is that actively managed funds typically have much higher fees than index funds or funds you can get from Vanguard or Dimensional Fund Advisors. Uh, and also, um, it is almost impossible to beat the market sustainably over a long period of time. And some uh, fund managers have been very successful in that. Peter Lynch is probably the poster child for that. He's now retired. He was at Fidelity for many years. But you don't know in advance which fund manager is going to do that. And the greatest probability of achieving high returns, according to Morningstar, and they're sort of the gold standard here, is from using very low-cost, very highly diversified funds uh, that simply harvest the returns the markets offer as opposed to trying to beat the market by anticipating what individual stocks will do in the future or what the entire market will do in the future. Um, and, you know, I look at things that are within an investor's control and things that are not within an investor's control. What, in a, what is beyond an investor's control, I believe, is stock picking, market timing, and finding a hot fund manager, because these things essentially are unknowable. Um, you know, the phrase that's used is, you know, the efficient market or the, the walk down Wall Street. The things that are within an investor's control are keeping expenses low, being broadly diversified, and being very disciplined so that, you know, my role as an advisor to a large part is being a voice of calm when markets are freaking out either on the upside or the downside. And to the extent that you can keep your expenses low, diversify what you have, so in a sports term you have you know, a player in every position, and being disciplined through market turmoil, you're likely to do a lot better than trying to you know, figure out on your own 
or using actively managed funds, which typically come with high fees, uh, to try and, and um, plot your financial life moving forward. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour are Peter Kranzler of San Mateo Capital Management in California and Weston Wellington, Vice President at Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Peter Kranzler of San Mateo Capital Management in uh, San Mateo, California, and Weston Wellington, uh, Vice President at Dimensional Fund Advisors. Welcome back to both of you. Uh, Peter, I just want to ask you briefly, um, in looking for a financial advisor, what are some of the things that people should look for uh, to get a good match uh, so that they know that they'll be able to trust that person with their money? Well, a few things. Uh, first, someone that's a good listener. I mean, there's no, two, there's no cookie-cutter approach to this. You want someone that will spend the time to try and understand your financial mindset and then use that as a basis for making investment recommendations. Uh, now, part of that is what we discussed before, getting a good sense of a client's risk tolerance and their risk capacity. But you want someone that really takes a, a deep interest in what your mindset is and tries to craft a plan that will suit that mindset moving forward. You want someone also that has no um, that is compensated based on either an hourly fee or a percentage of assets under management. I would advise against anyone that has that is either directly or indirectly compensated from the investments that he recommends, uh, which I think is very important. 
Um, and the way to do that is to have someone that, you know, is compensated based on a percentage of your assets because then your interests are perfectly aligned. Obviously, it's an incentive for the advisor to maximize those assets regardless of what the underlying investments are because his compensation will rise commensurately with that. You want to have someone that's what we call a fiduciary. And all registered investment advisors by SEC regulation must be fiduciaries. What that means is that they must place uh, the client's interest ahead of their interests in every instance. That's a somewhat higher bar than you would get from someone that works for a brokerage. The uh, requirement there is what's called suitability, uh, which basically means you don't try and sell penny stocks to an 85-year-old retiree. You want someone who puts your interest front and center all the time, uh, and that's something that any registered investment advisor must do by regulation. You want someone that can explain what investments he's recommending, why he's recommending them, and what risks they entail. And ideally, it's someone that doesn't use a lot of jargon and can make the investment plan and the thinking behind it something that's understandable. It's a collaborative approach, or it should be anyway. And communication is key, so in addition to a... You know, someone that listens, it has to be someone that can communicate effectively with the client so that they're both aligned as far as strategy and goals and investments and so forth and so on. And finally, it's good to have someone that's been through enough market cycles to have a steady hand um, because markets are volatile and, you know, there are gut-wrenching, you know, times in the market Nobody likes to see their portfolio go down. Everybody likes to see it go up. But they're two sides of the same coin. And as, as I said earlier, you want someone that will be a voice of reason uh, during a market storm uh, that can sort of put things in a longer-term perspective than simply what happened in the stock market or the bond market today or the last few weeks or the last couple quarters or the next quarter or two. So those are the things I think are key to look for for anybody that's looking for a financial advisor. Weston, it seems that what you're saying in the end is that the investor should kind of turn themselves off from watching the news, looking at CNBC, reading the newspaper, following these things, watching analysts, listening to brokers. This whole world, this whole kind of financial media world is uh, – at best a distraction, at worst helping them lose money. Uh, it seems counterintuitive to the way the whole world is set up, but is, is that what you're recommending, basically? In a nutshell, it's true. Think about how people, in most cases, over the long run, have owned real estate. They buy a piece of property, whether it's raw land or a nice house, and they sit there and they own it for the next 30 or 40 years, and many times they've done very, very well. People should take that mental approach to their stock portfolio. Buy a well-constructed, diversified strategy, and then just stick with it. Turn off the TV. If you bought and sold your houses based on neighborhood trends and economic data every couple of months, you'd probably be frittering away a lot of your potential gains and excess costs and taxes. The same thing is true of holding a securities portfolio. All this effort trying to outsmart other investors who are trying to outsmart you is just going to add to your costs and wind up more often than not leading you to a frustrating experience, but more importantly, a lot less wealth that you could deserve to accumulate. 
So we urge people to get the capital market rate of return that is there for the taking. Tell people about the website of DFA and how they can find out more about it. Even though they can't buy the funds directly, they have to go through financial advisors. Uh, give them the website. They can find out more about your funds. Uh, dimensional.com, and where there's a lot of information on there, but there's also a, a way to find an advisor if you don't have one uh, that may be willing in your area to show you and educate you about some of these ideas we've discussed here. What if there's a long-term cyclical change? Uh, for example, interest rates have pretty much been falling for the last 30 years, but that's unlikely to happen from where we are now. It's likely rates, interest rates are going to rise. So if you look at the returns you've been earning on bonds the last 30 years or so, it looks pretty good. That may be, mis- be misleading going forward. How does DFA change, uh, kind of adjust for something like that? When you're looking for some sort of trading rule that will tell you when to be in certain kinds of securities, even though many of these so-called rules may sound appealing, uh, what you tend to find is that there's no obvious, bulletproof, reliable strategy to do that. So in any kind of market environment, we urge people to have a diversified approach. Don't have all of your money in stocks. You probably don't want to have all of your money in fixed income. And don't try to make guesses about where you think the markets are going. The most important thing to understand is that Anything that you are worried about, you're reading about, you're hearing it discussed, the effects of that are most likely already reflected in current security prices. You are competing for every investment opportunity with other investors, and they're all worried about the very same things you are worried about. So it's not enough to be positive or negative on the outlook for the economy or some company or some industry to make a useful investment decision. You have to figure out, am I more positive or more negative than the average of all the other investors? That's a much tougher challenge to meet, and that's why so many investors find investing to be such a frustrating exercise. They're competing with literally thousands of other investors, and it's very unlikely that any single individual has more knowledge than tens of thousands, even millions of other investors we're also determining security prices. Peter, in about the two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of give us a sense of what difference does make made in your client's life to have you running their money instead of what they were doing before? Well, it, it takes a lot of stress off their shoulders. Um, you know, it, it's not only a second set of eyes uh, on what they have, but having a disciplined approach uh, is really very helpful. And, and what I'd add to what Weston said is that the rebalancing process that I spoke of earlier sort of answers the question that you asked, that when something goes up in value, you take some of your gains and you apply it to something that maybe is discounted in value. Uh, you're basically you know, selling hares and buying tortoises. And over time, that process sort of adjusts for what the markets do. So in your example, you know, if you've had a lot of bond gains over the past number of years, by rebalancing, you've harvested a lot of those gains and maybe put them in stocks or real estate investment trusts or commodities or other sorts of investments. And over time, that process compensates for the, the volatility of volatilities and inefficiencies of the market and, if done properly, uh, kind of takes the guesswork out of it 
If you have a portfolio, for example, that should be 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds, if it goes up to 65% in stocks, you whittle it down and put the money in bonds to, to keep near your target range. And I think that process over time, while you're not predicting what the market does, it, it, it adjusts for market volatility and changes in asset prices for different asset classes. And I think, in, in my view, is the, the best thing an investor can do uh, as far as um, managing a portfolio over an extended period of time. Very good. Well, thank you both. My guests this hour have been Peter Kranzler, uh, president of San Mateo Capital Management. His website is sanmateocapitalmanagement.com. And Weston Wellington of Dimensional Fund Advisors. Their website is dimensional.com. So thanks for both of you to being on the Money Answer Show. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. you, And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.